Uh, I'm Don Blair, one of the elders here at Northfield, if you don't know me, and uh, it's my privilege to share the word with you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word and for the opportunity we have to look into it this morning. Would you please show us yourself, show us ourselves, and show us Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. I want to start with a story, but before I do that, I, I have to tell you that I'm learning. I have to be careful with my stories. Um, I got here last Sunday, went into the office, and there in my mailbox was a, a folded up was a T-shirt. Well, I'm planning to help a little bit with VBS, so I thought, okay, it's my VBS T-shirt. So I took it out and unfolded it, and I held it up, expecting it to say, destination dig. Instead, it said, happy hour. Any hour, I'm watching Hallmark Channel. <laughs> I still don't know where that came from. <laughs> if you don't get that, after the service, talk with someone. I trust you won't have to ask very many before you'll find out what that means. So many years ago, um, I was in my early years of the medical practice, and a young woman came in to see me for a routine cancer screening test. So I performed the test, I sent it to the lab, and the results came back showing some suspicion for possible cancer. So the proper thing to do at that time was to wait. We wait about three months and repeat the test because not uncommonly that can be caused by inflammation or infection and in that time often it heals up and, and the repeat test is negative. And so, um, she was notified of the results and told to make an appointment in three months. Well, unhappily, she did not return for several years. And when she did, um, she had definite symptoms and findings of cancer. And in fact, it was, at a, it was in an advanced stage, and she succumbed to that shortly after in spite of attempts at treatment. So I tell you this story to, um, to illustrate uh, two different responsibilities. One was what only I could do as the uh, physician. For example, only I could perform the test, only I could send it to the lab, get the results back, interpret those, and make a recommendation. She couldn't do any of those things. But the second responsibility was what she could do. Uh, only she could return for the repeat test and then do whatever was indicated from that result. Uh, I couldn't make her do any of that. And so keep that in mind and turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Second Peter. And we're going to look at chapter 1. We're going to look at some things that only God can do and some things that he expects us to do and will not do for us. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Yeah, that's better. (laughs) Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So I want to look this morning at three things from this passage. First, what God has done. Secondly, what we are to do. And then thirdly, what the result will be. So the idea, the the take-home idea for this morning is this, and I'm making it a question instead of a statement so that although it is the main point, uh, it can also be a point of application. And that is, what are we doing with what God has done? I use the Nike symbol and slogan on the introductory slide because it goes along with this point. Now, I don't pretend to know all or even some of what Nike hopes to communicate uh, with that, but I can guess the one possibility is this. They might be trying to say, you know, we've done our part, we've made good equipment, now you use our equipment and just do whatever it is you like to do with it. In other words, Nike's done what only they can do, and you do now what only you can do. Oswald Chambers, in his little devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, said this in regard to our passage this morning. Quote, We are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does, and that God will not do what we can do. We cannot save ourselves nor sanctify ourselves. God does that. But God will not give us good habits. He will not give us character. He will not make us walk aright. End quote. What God has done, we see three things here in verses 3 and 4. First, he's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, if you take time to think about it, that verse 3 is a pretty amazing statement. He's granted to us all things. All things is about as all-inclusive as you can get. This is one of, one of what I call my one-three verses. And I found three of them, and we'll note their similarities. The first is Ephesians 1-3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Note the word every. Again, all-inclusive, something only God can do. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. My second verse is 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Note how that starts the same way as the Ephesians verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again, something only God can do. And the third of my 1-3 verses is our present verse, 2 Peter 1-3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So we have every spiritual blessing. We've been given a new birth, and we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So as believers, we might say, it doesn't get any better than that. Not only has he granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, we read in verse 4 that he's granted to us his precious in very great promises. Again, only God can do that. What are some of those promises? Now, I could go through all the scripture and pick out all the promises of God, and we'd be here for several hours, and I don't think you want me to do that. We'd miss the parade. Um, But here are just a few. Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. A promise for joy after sorrow. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them, delivers him out of them all. A promise for delivery from affliction. Romans 8:28, one of our favorite verses, isn't it? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. A promise that our difficulties will ultimately have a good result. There we go. And uh, John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Perhaps you've never thought of that, as a promise, but it certainly is one. And finally, John 2.25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Only God can make promises like that. Precious and very great. Thirdly, and uh, the third thing that in the uh, category of what God can do, not, not the third of our main outline, Through the promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So you might ask, well, how does that happen? Well, we know Scripture is clear that when we trust Christ by faith for the forgiveness of our sins, at that moment, Christ comes to live within us. Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 13.5, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? If Christ is in us, then we are partakers 
of the divine nature, and we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Only God can do that. So just thinking about what God has done and by way of application, I'd ask the question, are we living like that? Are we living like we believe that? Are we living like we indeed have all things that pertain to life and godliness? Are we living like we're truly born again? Are we living like we're blessed with every spiritual blessing? Are we thankful for these things? Indeed, are we thankful for all things? Are we continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God? Or do we grumble or complain or worry or live under the circumstances? Unhappily, I know we all do that. Some of that, at least part of the time. But I would encourage us, and myself included, that when we find ourselves having wrong responses to our difficulties in life, or just to life in general, that we try to dwell instead on what God has given us and promised us. Only we can control our thoughts like that. God will not do that for us. We've looked at what only God can do. Let's look at what we are to do. And Peter gets specific here in verses 5 through 7 and lists several things that we are to do. Remember, God will not give us good habits. He'll not give us good character. That's our responsibility. So in verse 5, we're told to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So we start with our faith, and then we need to supplement it or supply it, as some versions say, with some things. And Peter lists them here specifically. As a side note, here's a question about these verses, 5 through 7, and that is, is this just a simple list of some things we should be doing, or are they in any particular order such that each one builds on the one preceding it? For example, do we first need to develop virtue and then add knowledge because virtue requires it and then add self-control because we need that because we have more knowledge and so on down the list? Or do they have no particular order or relationship to each other? Well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, And I think it really doesn't matter. Because either way of looking at it gives us the same result. Commentators differ. I like what Barnes said in his commentary. He thinks they are not in any particular order, and that Peter's point in listing them is that we are to strive to possess and exhibit all of them. I would agree with that, but having said that, however, we'll recognize that they do have some relationship to each other. So we could spend the whole message on going through uh, this list, looking up definitions of the words, talking in detail, um, you know, about what each one means, but we don't have time for that. Again, I don't think you want me to do that anyway. And it would not add significantly to our main point, which is, again, what are we doing with what God has done? But we will look briefly at the list and see what we can learn. So we're first to supply our faith with virtue. That's simply good behavior uh, or behavior that shows 
high moral standards. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm to be good. I'm to behave well. I'm to develop the habit of doing good things, the character quality of being good. So that then begs the question, what is good? Well, that could be another whole discussion, but it really shouldn't have to be. Because very simply, we believe that God has set the standards. He's revealed those to us in his word. So we know what good is. End of discussion. Sadly, however, as we're seeing our culture moving away from God's standards, we're seeing all kinds of terrible things happening. Just think about back over the last two or three weeks. And they seem to be happening more frequently. So as in the time of Judges, uh, which, by the way, we're going to uh, begin a series on in a couple of weeks, we seem to be in a time where every man wants to do that which is right in his own eyes. But that's got not God's ways, <clears throat> and it will have consequences. The second thing to add to our faith is knowledge. Now, a brief word study reveals that this is not just intellectual knowledge about facts, but more a deeper knowledge of Christianity and the gospel and the things that are lawful and unlawful for Christians. Our faith is not a blind faith. It's based on truth, the truth of who God is and his character and his plan for our redemption. A knowledge of what God says is good and what is not a knowledge of what is true and what is not is an essential part of living out our faith. Self-control. You know, we have to have this because of our flesh, don't we? We learned <coughs> in the men's Bible study this past, past year that as believers, even though we're a new man and we have a new nature, we still live in our fleshly body. And we have to continually struggle to, as Paul says, present the members of our body to righteousness and not to sin. Because we struggle with fleshly desires. We struggle with our pride, with controlling our tongue, with bitterness, unforgiveness, to name just a few things. In the face of all this, self-control is necessary as we all know, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Paul says, stressed its use in 1 Corinthians 9.25 where he talks about an athlete having to use self-control. He also lists the lack of self-control in 1 Timothy 3 as being one of the significant negative features of the last days. We know self-control is hard. Uh, many of us who have ever tried to stay on a diet or an exercise program, or tried to bake, break a bad habit, or tried to develop a good habit. We can testify that self-control is hard. That's why we have to diligently make every effort to develop it. Steadfastness or perseverance. Developing good habits and good character is so we need to keep at it. We must persevere in doing God, in doing good, knowing God better, having self-control. Godliness. My first thought was that godliness 
simply means God-likeness, that is, having the character qualities of God. But here again, a word study was helpful. It actually means having reverence or respect toward God. It's kind of the same thing as how the word fear is used in the Bible. Most of the time when we are told to fear God, it means to reverence him. And Peter here encourages us to have a reverence for God, an awe of him, an amazement, a thankfulness for what he has given us. Brotherly affection, this is brotherly love. In the New Testament, it's used for the love that Christians have for each other as brothers and sisters. So we might think that should be easy, shouldn't it? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to remember Christ is a shepherd and we are his sheep. But he has some unlovely sheep, some obstinate sheep, some arrogant sheep, some selfish sheep, some uncaring sheep, some generally difficult sheep. And I know that because I'm one of them. You know, we laugh at this little poem, but it's all too true, which I'm sure most of you heard before. You know, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. And finally, love. This is agape love, a love that's sacrificial and unconditional. We might say that to add all these qualities to our faith requires, above all, a sacrificial and unconditional love of people and of God. These are some of the things that God will not do for us. The good news, however, is that he has supplied us with all we need to be able to diligently develop these qualities. But he leaves it to us to just do it. The Philippian jailer asked this question after he had brought Paul and Silas out of the prison. He asked, what must I do to be saved? The answer, of course, is absolutely nothing except believe. Salvation is God's gift, his doing, and only he can do it. But then after salvation, God does expect us to do some things to manifest that salvation. Peter has listed some of them here. And that's the main focus, if you remember, of the book of James, that uh, James wrote to the believers of his day to um, manifest their salvation or their faith by their works. Well, not only do I like Hallmark Christmas movies and old westerns, uh, I also like to watch some sports, uh, mainly football. You know, football players or players in any sport, for that matter, who make it to the level of major college or professional teams have special gifting that enables them to play at that level. Sometimes we hear commentators use the word athleticism. I don't know what all is included in that, but I believe it has to do, among other things, with God-given speed, quickness, strength, agility, and the innate ability to make your body do exactly what you want it to do, exactly when you want it to do it. Years ago, I attended a talk by an orthopedic surgeon in Peoria 
who had obtained some notoriety in the field of sports medicine. Now you have to remember that was back in the days before we had sports medicine specialists and sports medicine clinics. So he was kind of a pioneer in the field. And this was years ago. He was selected one year to be one of the physicians for the U.S. Winter Olympic team, and he worked with the skiers. And I remember him talking about how the skiers who, who were competing at that level had so much control over their bodies they knew where every body part was and what it was doing as they were hurtling down those slopes at breakneck speeds. And one thing he found interesting is that if they fell and were injured, often they were able to tell the examining doctor exactly how they fell, where the injured part was as they were falling, and where it was when they landed. He believed, and I don't know if any studies have ever looked at this or not, <laughs> but he believed that this was a special ability of athletes who were able to compete at that level. I thought it was pretty interesting, and over the years I kind of uh, tested it out a little bit for my own interest, and I would sometimes ask patients I saw who had fallen and sustained an injury to tell me exactly how did you fall and you know where was your injured part when you fell and when you landed. And you know what? Most of us can't do that. The answer I would get most often is more like, uh, I don't know, I just tripped and fell. And I hurt my ankle, or my knee, or my leg, or you know, whatever part it was. For most of us, that happens so fast that we're not able to tell exactly what happened to the injured part. Elite athletes seem to be a bit different in that regard. I tell you that little story uh, partly because it's interesting and more importantly to point out that some people are gifted with athleticism and might be able to compete in a sport at a high level. That is a gift that only God can give. But you know, even with that gift, such people will not get there without a lot of hard work. Conditioning, conditioning and diligence practice to develop the basic skills must be done or the natural gift is wasted. The athlete cannot give himself or herself the natural ability, but he or she can develop that ability to where it proves very useful. And that, of course, holds true for any natural gift. In the same way, we as believers cannot do what only God can do. But with what he has given us, we can do what he expects us to do. To go back to the Nike analogy, it's almost like God says, I've given you the equipment you need, now just go do it. Finally, as we come to our third point, if we're diligent to supply our faith with these things, what will be the result? In verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be effective and will bear fruit, which is, as we know from many other scriptures, one of the things that's expected of us. On the negative side, if we do not develop these qualities, 
will be nearsighted to the point of blindness. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I believe we can safely interpret this as a spiritual blindness and not a literal physical blindness. And I dare say that spiritual blindness is a worse thing than physical blindness. And in verse 10, we will never fall. Again, this would refer to a spiritual falling or a spiritual failure. The good news is that the combination of a saving faith given to us by God and good character that's developed by us will keep that from happening. So we must trust God for and praise him for our salvation and then work to add to it good habits and good character. So I would ask, are you saved? Do you have that gift from God? If not, or if you're not sure, please talk with me afterward to talk with Evan in the office or with someone else that you know uh, does have that gift. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. <clears throat> We've had a debt we cannot pay, but you have paid that for us. And we thank you for the instruction that you give to us as to what you want us to do with that faith and that salvation that you have given to us. Please help us in that regard today and every day. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.